for me, the only thing that matters is the photograph. And I will never camp out on, I don't crop my images, or I only use prime lenses, or I only use Leica. I, I, I honestly don't, I don't give a damn what people use or how they do it. That's their own decision. You are listening to Photography Conversations, where Tomash shares with you his comprehensive interviews with passionate photographers and the most innovative photo industry leaders, developers, and influencers. This podcast will help you stay an inspired and well-informed photographer. Hello, fellow photographers. Tomasz here. I hope you are having a wonderful light these days, having fun with your photography, and even more importantly, producing some images you are proud and happy with. Today, I would like to share with you my conversation with one of the photographers I admire the most and uh, have been following for years. Today's guest is David Duchemin, and uh, I am pretty sure you have heard about David before. He's a world and humanitarian assignment photographer, best-selling author of photography books, workshop leader, and also a digital publisher. He is the founder of Craft & Vision, probably the best digital photography bookstore out there, uh, editor-in-chief of Photograph Magazine and contributing columnist to Photolife. Enjoy my conversation with David Duchemin. Hello, David. I am, I am I'm thrilled and honored to, to have you here. I know very well that you are quite a busy guy. <laughs> you are a photographer, a teacher, workshop leader. So so just that you know, I appreciate it a lot that, that you decided to take a bit of your valuable time to, to join me here on, on, on the show. Uh, oh, you're very welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you. David, do, do you remember the, the very last photograph you took that you were very happy with? I do, actually. And it's it's very recent. Um, I've just got back from a, a sailing trip in northern Canada in an area that we call the Great Bear Rainforest. And uh, I have been there before. And to be honest, I've done a couple of trips recently and uh, had bad luck with weather and bad luck with circumstance. And I was just feeling like I needed I needed a win. You know, sometimes you just have to accept that no matter what you're going to do in Lightroom or Photoshop, you're, you just the photographs aren't doing it. And so I, I was on this trip and I was sitting on a rock in the middle of this river waiting for this bear. And we have this this species of bear in on the West Coast and in a very particular part of the West Coast of Canada that we call the spirit bear. It's a black bear, It's uh, but it's completely white. So it looks a little bit like a little polar bear, but they're very rare. They're very beautiful. And I was there in the Great Bear Rainforest to photograph these bears. And I had been there a couple of years previously, and there was a shot I wanted where the bear was standing on a rock and they're such beautiful bears. And I wanted something that was a little more interpretive, not just a literal shot of a bear on a rock at a thousandth of a second. So I thought, you know, if I could slow down my shutter, uh, I could get this, you know, he's standing in a stream. So it was basically in the middle of a waterfall. Mm -hmm. I could get the water to do, to sort of blur. And, uh, and there would be a really nice contrast between the bear and this river. And the problem is this bear just kept moving, <laughs> you know, and, and I was, I was hand holding, um, the equivalent of 600 millimeters at an eighth of a second. And the challenge technology is, has advanced so much. The challenge was not me holding my hand still. I could hold this lens 
at an eighth of a second get a perfectly sharp photograph, except the bear kept moving. And I was trying and trying and trying and, and I finally got it. And uh, that's a long way of telling you about these circumstances, but the, the photograph just, it, you know, you look on the back of the monitor and you just have this feeling that I, I, I can't even describe in the moment itself with the, with the bear was unbelievable, but th- that I finally, after a couple of years, nailed this one photograph and, and it captured that feeling of being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty intoxicating. Yeah, you just mentioned that it's kind of difficult, you know, to to describe what it is, what what the f- it's just about the feeling and kind of like an intuitive, almost like a emotional kind of reaction, right, to your own image, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, like w- how would you try to define what makes a good photograph? What what is a good photograph for you? Well, I think uh, for okay, so there's two questions there. What is, makes a good photograph, and what makes a good photograph for me? I think. Everyone will have their own answer. There are there are reasons that we all make our own photographs, things that we want to accomplish. But for me, what makes a, a good photograph is one that engages, that connects with people. You know, when they look at it, they're not thinking, oh, I wonder what lens he made this with or what camera. I wonder what his histogram looked like or, oh, my gosh, it's such a sharp photograph. There's something more there. There's story. There's poetry. There's uh, emotion and mood. That kind of thing that human connection where a photograph sort of goes a little bit past the brain and connects on a deeper level, um, not without the brain, but Mm -hmm. just on that deeper level where you're thinking about it days later, or it makes you think a different thing or feel something. I just want it to connect. And, you know, the kind of photograph it is will Mm -hmm. determine how it connects, but it's that connection that is so important to me. And do you think, because each one of us is constructed, you know, in a different way. I mean, like we have different, you know, emotional structures and, you know, sure. we have di- different memories, different histories and so on. And then we always believe that, I mean, those of us who, who are deep into the photography, you know, who are really, you know, enjoying living it on a daily basis, we, we kind of believe that what we feel will connect or connects with us will kind of translate into you know, we will we, we'll send this message further and um, hopefully other viewers will also connect through the image to the same story. So where do you think is this common denominator? Is there something like this, which is kind of like a, you know, like a common emotional message that we can inject I, I, into an image? Yeah, I would say I, I would say common, but not universal. I think that um, you, you identified it rightly that we all have different memories. And we all, so, for example, this photograph that I made of a bear, some people will, will react uh, with confusion if they don't know that a white black bear exists. They'll think it's a polar bear and why is it standing in the middle of, you know, a rainforest. Um, some people maybe that have had an experience with a bear that is deeply negative um, and have fear about it will feel a different thing about the photograph. And someone that has spent time there in that location with maybe even the same bears will have yet another emotional reaction to this. So I I do think that there can be commonality and that mm-hmm. our work will find its own audience. Some just some people just won't resonate with your work at all. They won't understand it, they won't like it. That's fine, but you your so your work can't resonate with absolutely everyone, but it will find its own audience. And for those people, yes, that's those people are the people who feel this common thing about that photograph. Um, but even then, it's not it's not specifically common. It's just, I think, in generalities. Do you think uh, adding captions, you know, descriptions, or at least titles to photographs uh, makes a huge difference? Do you add captions and or titles to your own images when publishing them? 
I think context is everything, Tomash. I think sometimes context can be important. For example, if I want my work to be put forward or to have a, a conservation message, I may include that photograph with a story or with a short paragraph that explains some of the detail or some of the urgency or the statistics that are behind, for example, these spirit bears or, you know, endangered, uh, an endangered shark or something. If you were using the photograph in that context, yes, it would provide more information than the photograph itself can. But if you were putting it on a wall or submitting it for consideration for a major awards you know, competition, uh, then the caption would would be less necessary because the work is, stands on its own as as what it is. So I think context is everything. Sometimes it's really helpful in understanding and other times it's um, it's not necessary. For how many years have you been doing photography uh, today? Well, I've been photographing seriously since I was about 14 years old. So just over just over 30 years now. 30 years. So it's quite a yeah, long period of time. And um, is there anything that, that, you know, changed for you in the entire process of, of chasing those uh, compelling images? Like, what would you say you're doing different today, generally speaking now, of course, than you were doing 10 or 20 years ago? Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great question. I think we all learn uh, in different ways, and there are phases of the way we learn. So, you know, twenty years ago, I was still very much concentrating on just trying everything on for size. You know, I would try to photograph birds, and I would try to photograph, you know, whatever race cars or anything that I could had a chance to photograph. I was trying it and figuring it out. Okay, what works here? What what? But really, I was just learning my craft. I was mm -hmm. learning to get the the shutter speeds and the apertures and, and the, the understanding of how light works. I was just learning that stuff. I, I wasn't, I had tools, but I didn't know what kind of stories I wanted to tell with those tools. And it was, it was only about 12 years ago, maybe, gosh, maybe a little longer than that, maybe 15 years ago now that I went to Haiti and, um, everything changed for me. I suddenly, I understood what stories I wanted to tell with my camera. So it, for a long time, I didn't even know why I was making photographs. I was just, oh, that looks cool. And I would press the button and, you know, if it was sharp, great. And if it wasn't, I, you know, go back mm -hmm. and try again. Now I photograph with much greater intent because I see these tools as these great opportunities for us to say something, to express something, even just to put the camera to your face and explore a thing before you know quite what that intent is. So I'm much more intentional now than I ever was. I want to tell bigger stories. I want to not just, for me now, it used to be a good photograph was sharp and well exposed. Now mm -hmm. a good photograph is about connection and it's so much less about the camera than it once once was. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's all about really it's all about the photographer. The cameras now are so good that we can give much more of our attention to the things that really make a great photograph: story and emotion and and the stuff that engages. You know, paying attention more to the light than to you know the quality of light than just what's my best exposure, you know? Mm -hmm. And this uh, trip to Haiti. So you discovered, uh, so to speak, you know, your 
your subject matter or your, you know, the, the way you want to speak through photographs. Did it res resonate with something actually which was already deep down in you, you know, based on your experiences from, from your earlier life? Or oh, yeah, very much. I mean, I, I've been a traveler all my life. Uh, my mother was a nurse and an officer in the Royal Air Force in England. My father was an officer in the Canadian Armed Forces, and they met while traveling, while posted in, in Cyprus. And uh, my whole life, I have spent traveling and my my mother gave me, my, both my mother and father, but primarily my mother gave me a very broad picture of the world and got me National Geographic magazines when I was a kid. And I have always worked with children and families. And that's what I was doing at the time when I went down to Haiti. And so all of these things that were a part of me, my desire for travel and that sort of thing, it all came back. And suddenly I knew what I wanted to do with my photographs. And that has since branched out. You know, I'm now I'm doing more wildlife than I ever imagined I would. I'm doing conservation stuff and I'm doing underwater photography with, uh, you know, with sharks and whales. And, and mm -hmm. I never imagined that when I was in, in Haiti. So things do change as we grow. And, but it always comes out of who we are. The best work will always be a natural extension of our thoughts, our fears, the things we love, the things we're angry about. And uh, that kind of mix, I think, if we allow it to, informs our photography and You know, they they mm -hmm. do say a, a picture's worth a thousand words. I think sometimes it's not worth even close to a thousand words. Sometimes it's worth many more than a thousand words. But the question really is, what are we saying with those thousand words, and are we using to them them to a, the maximum uh, benefit? Are they are they powerful? Are they coming from something? true and deep or are they just sort of you know something kind of mm -hmm. flippant which is okay too there's lots of room for beauty i'm not trying to dismiss you know the the snapshot but uh, the photographs are capable of so much more as well mm -hmm. and uh, before becoming a professional photographer and correct me if i'm uh, wrong but uh, as far as i know you were working as a professional as a comedian right is that's correct? right yeah so humor you know i can imagine you know is present in your life i can see it in your in your videos and you know in some of your you know posts or books mm -hmm. uh, did this uh, how long how long did you work as a comedian before you know 12 uh, 12 years 12 years how uh, would you say does this you know being a comedian kind of has its place in in, in you being a photographer today as well is it somewhere there Uh, it, it is, um, but my pictures aren't funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, um, you know, I mean, I look at the work of, of Elliot Erwitt, whose pictures do have an incredible amount of wit and humor about them. And I, I love them. I, he's probably my favorite photographer. Um, comedy has come to play in the sense that comedy is extremely intentional and the best comedians know that you have to edit your stuff down. You have to really, you have to keep working on it. It's not as, uh, spur of the moment or spontaneous as a good comedian makes it look on stage. These jokes are, they are told a million times. They're edited. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they listen, comedians listen to their sets and they go through it and they count laughs per minute. I mean, they're really, really um, very particular about their, their craft. Uh, mm -hmm. That is what has carried over into photography for me is the understanding that this is a communication medium and, uh, Cutting out everything that is unnecessary makes our photographs stronger. And so, yeah, I think I'm still, a, I, I'm very much a, a uh, <laughs> I think I'm still a fun person, but my, my photography, I do take very seriously. 
And I, to be honest, as much as I love the work of someone like Elliot Erwitt, I have not found a place for humor in my photography very often. It's maybe because mm -hmm. my humor is much more uh, verbal. I like to, you know, make puns and, and I'm funny that way. And I'm funny with, you know, on some of my vi videos with facial expressions and that sort of thing. But I, I, I don't know that I even really intrinsically know how to make my photographs funny. I think I'm, I think I'm far too serious <laughs> for that. And uh, you mentioned being deliberate about um, planning your own work. So are you also very much deliberate when it comes to, you know, planning your trips, planning the photographs you're going to take? Uh, how much space you have for, you know, sp spontaneous reactions and, you know, just absorbing what's, what's uh, unveiling there in front of you? Yeah, th that's a great question. It's actually very spontaneous um, I, because there's another discipline in comedy and that's, that's uh, improv. And... Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do a lot of research at all. In fact, I, in fact, as the years go by, I do less and less because the, and there's, there is absolutely a role for research in some forms. If I were working for the National Geographic, I would research the hell out of whatever I was doing. But the kind of work that I'm doing now is I want it to be a record of my experience of a place. I want to go and I want to uh, stumble through a back alley somewhere and find something that I didn't even know was there, never expected. Uh, some light, some moments, some lines that just, you know, the lonely planet had no idea that I was going to encounter yeah. these. So I'm very, I show up in a place, I choose a good location in the sense that I know that I want to walk a lot. Uh, so I pick a good hotel that's close to the, the action. And that's kind of it. I walk, I just walk around. I just pick a direction and I walk and I explore and I walk all day. And that's where my best photography happens is, is in that spontaneity and the unexpected discoveries. I don't, I don't plan well in part because the minute you start really planning, the minute I start really planning things, um, you get a bunch of expectations. You begin to think, oh, my photographs are going to look like this or like this, or maybe it'll look like this. And those expectations, those you're trying to find something that may not even exist. And those expectations, I think, blind us to what actually does exist, what actually is there. Sometimes we're looking for something so hard that it stops us from seeing and experiencing. So I've, I find that for, for me, for my own personality, too much planning gets in the way. So I do as little as possible. I want to ask you also about composition, because I know it's something you, you have been thinking about a lot recently. Mm -hmm. it's in one of your recent blog posts, you wrote that um, moment is everything only once you have used composition to make it so. So do you think good composition is something we have to like, practice awful a lot in order to be then able to apply it almost you know, intuitively and very, very quickly when spotting an interesting moment in front of our camera? Because it's so often that we have just a second, right? Or, yeah. or even, even less to photograph any given scene. So finding and you know, uh, grasping this, comp this great composition, does it have to become an instinct? I, I, I think it, I think it becomes intuitive, but that intuition is not for most, for 99% of it. It's not like you're born with it. You know, I, I truly believe there are some very few people that are talented, naturally, naturally gifted at this stuff. But I think there's so few of them that I'm probably not overstating it when I say talent is just completely overrated. I think we learn just like we learn language. We learn the visual language. And the more we understand Uh, how visual language works, the more we're aware of what makes a good composition and what doesn't. I'm not talking about rules. I'm just talking about understanding maybe the role of contrast or repeated elements or just um, 
how lines work relative to our perspective and our choice of POV, all of this stuff uh, combines and you can have the most amazing moment in the world. I mean, iconic, human, universal, every, I mean, it could be a, almost a religious experience, but in the photograph, it will not, it, your composition is what makes it, what gives that moment its truest expression, its best, most powerful expression. expression. Yes, it will mm-hmm. still be a photograph of whatever that moment is in history, but will it be the strongest? Will it say the thing you want to? And so you're, you're absolutely right. It does take time. And, we, and often the moment is so fleeting that it's only going to be the person that's done this long enough that they can anticipate that moment and set up for it or are willing to mm-hmm. wait for it to happen again. Uh, but the person that has, yes, it will feel like intuition after 30 years. It will feel like you're not thinking like, oh my God, where do I put my lines? But it's because You've done it over and over and over again, just like I'm speaking to you in English. Um, I'm not thinking, oh, quick, hurry up. What's the next word you're going to use? You know, it's just kind of it's coming out. And you could say it's instinctive or, or intuitive. I, I have to think a little bit more. I have to think a little bit more. You will have to think a little <laughs> bit more. Native speaker. Sure. <laughs> but but the more we do it, you have to you have to acknowledge, you know, I mean, when, when sure. I pick up a, a like I can now speak. French, it's not pretty at all, but I can speak French in such a way that I'm not usually thinking ahead. It's just coming out of my mouth. And then I get into trouble when suddenly I realize, oh, I have no (laughs) idea what I'm about. Like, what's the word? Um, But even there, that's progress. That's getting to a point where you can much more intuitive. So it's not like it's either intuitive or it's not. It's that we start with it not being most of us and we learn over time and it becomes more and more intuitive. Um, even someone who's been doing it 30, 40, 50 years, we're, we're all still learning and it is becoming Mm -hmm. new things are becoming more intuitive for us. So I I would say to those that are, that are listening, you're like, gosh, you know, it sounds like work. It's, it is, it is work. Art, any art, any craft takes, takes a long time to master, but it's not binary. It's not, you either do master it or you don't master it. It is a journey along which we are in process of mastering, but composition is to to pay all this attention to lens specs and camera specs and all of this stuff and spend no time actually studying photographs that's what we're talking about when we're talking about composition what's what makes those mm-hmm. photographs great and i would venture to say most photographers they know the bnh catalog inside and out and they don't really even have a comfort level with speaking about fo- what makes a good photograph Mm-hmm. Yes, I was about to ask you actually, yeah, because you, you are teaching photography a lot, right? These days sure. you're an educator as well. So exactly, I was able to ask you what, what, what would be the, for somebody you know, just starting or like willing exactly to, to, to improve his own compositional skills and so on, what would be the best way of actually learning it? Because, okay, one thing is to, uh, you know, attend courses or workshops from, from guys like you, other photographers. Um, others, other way would be probably looking at photographs of, you know, renowned masters so to uh-huh. speak uh, which, which is always very subjective as of well course, right yeah, yeah there are of course everyone learns differently and I, and i think at the beginning you know read some great books take some courses take them from people that are making the kind of work that you love um, mm. but also just study photographs study the the kind of photographs that you love but not exclusively those you know branch out uh, f- 
pick up the work of someone that, that you know is considered a master and you might not even like their work, but pick it up and ask yourself, why is this photographer or was this photographer so uh, appreciated and revered? What mm-hmm. is it in the photographs? And then the stuff that you love Ask, it's all there. That's the beautiful thing about photography. There's no secrets. This is not all unlocked by a handshake, you know, a secret handshake or some secret code. Uh, the master photographers don't have some secret knowledge that everyone else doesn't have. They've just been doing this a long time. They've figured out the language and they've learned their way with that language. So look at the photographs and just ask yourself, how am I feeling about this photograph? What does it make me think? What does it make me feel? Um and and why is it the lines? Is it the subject? Is it is it a, a a type of contrast? Is it the light? Is it you know what decisions did the photographer make that he might made have made otherwise and totally ruined this photograph? Maybe same moment, same lens, everything's the same, but his position was much different, and he the subject blended into the background or was obscured by a tree or a bus. Every decision matters, and if you can spend if you picked up one photograph a day or even one a week and just put it on your desk and you looked at it and you asked yourself, why does this photograph work? What would have happened if the photographer had waited another moment or moved a little bit to the left? That kind of thinking is what allows us eventually, not because I care that people can speak about photographs, but eventually when you put the camera to your face, you will be thinking these questions and you will explore with the camera to your face. You will explore different kinds of responses to those questions and that's what will end up being your photograph and then you'll look at your own photographs Mm -hmm. and say did it work i knew what i wanted to accomplish did it work could i have moved a little bit could i have changed my optics and in in because you'll always be doing this in conjunction with this you know trying new lenses once in a while or a new technique or picking up a flash and learning about light uh all of these things matter but to do the one to focus so hard on our craft um, and not be doing the other is like getting really, really good at, you know, understanding how a guitar works, but not actually understanding music, you know, not understanding mm-hmm. how sure. mm-hmm. how to play a song and connect emotionally with with an audience. And I think we do we need to do both. So looking at the images and then also going out and practicing it yourself, and at least in the beginning, trying to, you know, maybe not copy it because I'm always against it, but like kind of like when you're learning to trying to rep- reproduce certain compositional, you know, ideas would be the, the best of both worlds, probably. I right? think so. And, and being willing to fail. And, you know, I don't actually have a problem with copying when you, you acknowledge that you are copying and it's just for an exercise, just a creative exercise. I, if you were painting, if you were doing a, um, you know, a discipleship in painting, you would be sitting in a museum or a gallery sketching some of the great mm-hmm. pieces of, of, of art from the last, you know, of Western art, you would be sketching this stuff. And, uh, there's great value in that, but no artist would sketch out Picasso's Guernica and then take credit for it as his own. It would just go into a notebook. And one day, 10, 20 years later, some of that will bleed into his painting in some 
some fashion. So I think we have to keep them separate. Uh, but I also think we just need to fail. We need to go out. We, we don't need all of these photography gurus. Even I have students that I kind of just, I want to, and I have said, you just need to not take workshops right now. You need to go and try this fun. You don't need a teacher. You need to go and let failure be your teacher. Go fail, try, figure it out. Then in a year from now, when you've blown off another 100,000 frames and you've played through some personal projects and you've learned some stuff, then come back and learn a few more things. But we seem to be in this always trying to learn, but never willing to fail uh, mode and failure is our best teacher. You learn so quickly when, you know, when you just go out and fail and figure it out rather than just kind of going, oh, well, I'll just read another book. We, many of us have read way too many books and, and not mm -hmm. complemented that with going out and just putting the camera in our hand and failing time and time again with it. Um, there's a great freedom in failing. There's I, so many of my best photographs have come from, oh, well, I, this might not work, but let's see what happens. And then you, you get it and you go, oh my God, that, that was, a, I love that. And then you spend some time kind of probably camping out on that technique and you overuse it a bit. And, but eventually it just becomes yet another tool in your toolbox, but you don't get there unless you're willing to fail and just mm -hmm. be crappy at it for a while. Yeah, I think I think this this uh, it got kind of more even more difficult into you know today's day and age with with all the social media kind of you know uh, uh, um, reality around us where people are kind of afraid of this failure you know in public when, when putting the images online people don't put them people are afraid of getting the critique of you know getting bad comments so but actually this would be also the way of kind of testing the waters and you know testing your your own skills, I think. It might be. I, I think social media is a mixed bag. I, I'm about to fly to Venice for, uh, for some workshops. And I tell my students while we're there, um, you know, I don't forbid anyone to do anything. They're grown adults. But I tell them, if you're, if you're serious about this, uh, no social media for the week. No looking at social media, no posting to social media, because I want them focused on their art. I want them focused on learning and seeing this beautiful place that we're, we're in, uh, not head down with an iPhone in their hands. And what mm -hmm. often happens is we make a photograph. We're very excited. We, we run it through Snapseed. We post it up to the internet and we get that dopamine hit of all of those likes and comments and hearts. And, um, many of them really totally meaningless. Um, and, and what it does is it gives us a false assessment. It does a couple things. It gives us a false assessment of our work and we think, oh, people like it. It must be good. Not necessarily true. Neither is it true that if people don't like it, that it's not good work. Um, so we have to be careful about how much credit we give to the outside world. But the other thing is art takes time. Art is, is, it requires us to think and to stew in things and to go back and retry things. And if we throw out that, what might eventually be only a sketch image, but we put it on Instagram and everyone goes, oh my God, it's amazing. And you think, oh, well, great. It's uh, my work's done here. We never get to the point where we do another sketch image and another, and, and, and we try it out and we combine ideas and we get to that final image where we go, yes, that is the one. There are probably uh, untold millions of these photographs that never get made because mm -hmm. we, we sabotage our own process. We, you know, I think when you make photographs, you should, you should take some time. I'm not being prescriptive. I'm just saying the, the benefit to taking time is so extraordinary. The benefit to uh, editing your work 
quietly on your own um, and sequencing things with small prints and then printing bigger work so that w- when you're done a project, you have a, 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 a portfolio of actual images that you've signed your name to or that you've lived with for a while, that you've seen the little flaws in them and you've gone back and you've tweaked and we just get so lazy. And and I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again, I don't want to be prescriptive, but there's our photographs are, they're worth so much more than the approach that we often give them. Okay, but so but, but photogra- photography is yeah in the very end it is a visual art which means it, it needs a it needs a mm-hmm. viewer right so like wh- when would you say when do you know is the moment you know after you know working on your on a series of photographs or a certain portfolio wh- when do you know is the moment to actually show show those images to the world wh- when when is it well, I I think at some point we just you just get to a point it has to be done where, you know, you've printed the image or, or you've lived with it for a while and you go, yeah, I'm, I am really satisfied with this. Um, and I don't know that we always, I mean, it's not an, it, at that point, it doesn't end. There have been times when I've done a photograph in color that two years later, I've come back to and thought, you know, I'd like to try see what this looks like in black and white. And that black and white gives a different expression to that photograph. Um, so it's always changing and it's, I'm not saying it's like, you know, wait a week and then you're done. I'm just saying, let's just all slow down a little bit. Let's, instead of posting 300 photographs to Instagram every week, let's post one a day and let's be slow about our consumption of them because we're devaluing our stuff. The more we put out. So sometimes, I mean, I've, I have put up images fairly quickly, but Others I sit on for a long time and I go, okay, you know, is, is this really worth it? In part, because I also want, when I eventually do, for example, a book or a gallery show or something, um, uh, I, I want there to be something left that people haven't seen that hasn't just been tossed onto social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's, it's more for me, it's more about the process. I find the slower I am to share and the longer I live with these photographs, the more I realize, for example, that maybe I've overcooked an image in post-processing or maybe there's a diff- maybe there's a different frame that's actually a stronger expression of this thing. And I've t- just taken more time with the edit. Uh, again, it's, it's not that, I mean, you, you see, I'm everywhere on social media. I love social media. Uh, I just am aware that there are things it does well and there are some areas in which it provides us an opportunity to maybe sabotage our, our own process. And we could just all give ourselves mm-hmm. a little more freedom just to not post so much, to slow down. And also in doing so, maybe to appreciate the work of others a little more slowly rather than just look at it, swiping it, you know, clicking it, moving on, but to actually study it and not consume quite as quickly. If we all slowed down, I think we'd just be better photographers and uh, and we would value our what we do a little bit more than we do now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned post-processing. It just reminded me of, of one last question about the, the composition I wanted to ask you before. What are your thoughts on, on quote-unquote, adjusting the composition, you know, during post-processing by cropping the image? Is it a is it a less valuable, less noble way of doing photography for you? For me, I prefer to do keep that to a minimum, but... Uh... Let me go on record yet again as saying, I really do not believe, I, in fact, I do believe there are no rules. There, There is no badge of honor for, um, I mean, there, there, you may give yourself your own badge of honor for not cropping an image, but if the image is made stronger by a slight crop or a readjustment, or you realize, you know, the balance isn't quite right on this, it might be better as a four by five instead of a 16 by nine or vice versa. 
I, for me, the only thing that matters is the photograph and I will never camp out on, I don't crop my images or I only use prime lenses or I only use Leica. I, I, I honestly don't, I don't give a damn what people use or how they do it. That's their own decision. I like, I have a satisfaction for getting at it as close as possible in camera. But, um, you know, mm. I, I cut my teeth in photography in a dark room and we were always cropping and dodging and burning and doing all of these traditional techniques. And I didn't do a, a, a lot of it. I wasn't advanced at all, but there was enough in there that you knew how to take what was potentially a very good photograph. But would be better if you refined it a little, if you slightly adjusted the crop. Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. So I think people need to do what serves the photograph, not what serves their ego. Um, and certainly not what serves, you know, the pundits who say, oh, you got to do this or you got to do that. You know what? Let them make their own art. If they don't want to crop, they don't have to crop. Yeah. And, and in the very end, I mean, I couldn't agree more when I open a book, you know, a photography book. And there is a, a photograph that just, you know, uh, stops my breath. I really, this is the last thing I, I'm even thinking about. What was you know, what have been done there? Was there some cropping or some dodging involved? Right. I don't care. I just enjoy the, the, the moment, right? I, the, the yeah, I mean, we need me. to, just like the comedian, will tighten up his set and, and make sure that the punchlines um, are tight and the setups are tight so that they get the most amount of laughs. Uh, it's the same thing with writing. I mean, would, how, how much do any of us want to go to a movie that never actually got edited, that was just 16 hours of raw footage or, you know, read a book that just the, the author banged it out on his typewriter and zing, off it goes to the publisher. And you're like, God, there's typos and, you know, there's all of the... It, an editor mm -hmm. editing your stuff, the process of refining is for most of us is really important. And I think for those of the, you that are out there and you're, you're purists and you're like, no, God damn it. You know, I, it's, it's my prime lens and my Leica and no cropping. And that's how they've always done it. It's not. If you look through, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite teaching books is Magnum contact sheets. If you look through there and see which images were selected out of a roll of 36 and right. where, mm -hmm. where crops were made, um, editing has always been really important and nobody wants to see all your crap and your mistakes. They want to see the most, the most powerful the photograph best. you can make without it. You know, I, I'd rather see a great photograph than your badge of honor that says I don't crop my images. Absolutely. Uh, David, the time, time is going really fast with you. So <laughs> last couple of things, I mean, last couple of questions. Uh, you mentioned already before that, um, and I also agree completely that the camera actually, you know, the brand or the type of camera doesn't matter at all uh, in the whole, you know, process. But so let me ask you, because I... <laughs> I'm a Fujifilm user myself, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I saw I saw a, cam a Fujifilm camera in your hands in one of your recent videos. So, so is it Fuji Fuji cameras these well, days? Well, um, I'm a Fuji X photographer, which is uh, almost completely meaningless, except that I do really like the Fuji XT2, and they make great lenses. Um, I also shoot Nikon underwater because mirrorless isn't there yet, and I've invested a lot in my underwater gear. And I have a Canon system for shooting, you know, what little video I, I do for my for my video, my, my YouTube show. Um, but yes, right now, I love, there are certain things about the Fuji that are just the sweet spot for me that, for example, the Sony doesn't have. The Sony doesn't feel right in my hands. I like the old style aperture rings and shutter dials. It's very... I can pick up a Fuji X-T2 and it feels, despite a lot of other differences, like my old Pentax Spotmatic or K1000 or that era of perfectly mm -hmm. only manual analog 
camera, I, I, that muscle memory is still there. So I can work, I can use a Fuji faster than I can use any other camera right now. Uh, and that's important. I think the sooner the camera gets out of our way, the sooner we will be making the photographs that we want to be, be making. So for me, that's Fuji. It has nothing to do with brand loyalty. Mm. Um, I just really like the way it feels in my hands. But over the last 10 years, I've done Canon, Nikon, Leica, Fuji, and, you know, little, all kinds of quirky little things in between. Photographers have a strange relationship with their gear. And I love my gear. I mean, my mantra for the last what 15 years has been gear is good. Vision is better. And I think people camp out on that and they're like, Oh, vision's better. And, and it is, it is absolutely, but gear is good. You know, without it, we would, we will all be at our, our easels painting. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> the cameras are what make it photography and you have to know your craft. And, and if your camera doesn't feel right in your hand, I'm not saying obsess about it. it, it it's a collaborator and it's got to do what it needs to do. Uh, I love my, I love my Fujis, but again, it's more because they fit in my hand. They have the X-T2 has that flip down screen that I can't live without because I like to get really low and explore different POVs. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can, I can go now, I can go like I just did to this bear trip with up to not, not including tele extenders up to 600 millimeters of reach, uh, two camera bodies. And I can put it in a backpack that's it's so light. I can, I can hike with it. I have some mobility issues now after an accident that I need, mm -hmm. I can't carry that big DSLR gear anymore. Um, and the DSLR, when I do use a DSLR now, oh, Tomas, it drives me crazy, crazy. <laughs> I'm looking through it. I'm like, I'm like, where's, where's my histogram? I can't, I, you, what do you mean? I have to meter first, then photograph, then check my histogram with the, with the current batch of mirrorless cameras. I can look constantly through my viewfinder and see my histogram. I never have to take the camera down and have, never have to lose a moment. And that alone has made me a much more present photographer. And whatever gear you have to use to get the gear out of the way and be present, that's the gear you should be using. David, thanks so much. Uh, uh, one last thing, maybe share with, with, with my listeners here. So what's, what are the best online, you know, places to, to, to find out more about what you're doing, what you're up to and, uh, Uh, where can people, you know, learn more yeah, about your activities? I think the, the best place to go would be my, my blog, daviddusheman.com. Uh, and from there, you'll find links to my YouTube show, Vision is Better. Uh, you'll find links to my portfolio and see what my, you know, my latest work um, and uh, links to books. Like my latest book is Soul of the Camera. And, you know, you can get all my books on Amazon. But it, If you go just to my blog, daviddusheman.com, you can find everything. In addition to that, I have a education site called Craft and Vision, craftandvision.com, uh, that's full of uh, eBooks, both by myself and some of the best photography educators out there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you could avail yourself. There's not just eBooks. There's also some solid Lightroom presets and there's some video tutorials and that sort of thing. So uh, those would be the two places that you could probably best find me. And of course, on, on Instagram and Facebook, but you can find those links on my blog. Perfect. We'll link to everything. Thanks so much uh, uh, once more, David. Have a have a wonderful light wherever you go. Going. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, yeah, talk to you next time. Thank you so much, Tomasz.